the Gospel of John, whenever people, uh, whenever, uh, people come and ask me, they often do, they say, hey, uh, the, reading the Bible, if you get a Bible and you've never, you don't know anything about the Bible, and they say, hey, I, I want to read this, but I don't know where to start, I always, always, always tell people, start in the Gospel of John. If you've been out of your Bible for a while, you're a Christian, you've been out of your Bible for a while, I want to challenge you, go read the Gospel of John. Just start in the Gospel of John. No matter if you've been a Christian for 10,000 years or you've been a Christian for 10 seconds, go read the Gospel of John because it is the only book in the entire Bible that says that it was written so that you may believe, right? So um, if, you, if somebody asks you, a new believer asks you, hey, uh, uh, where should I start reading the Bible? The Gospel of John is the answer. The Gospel of John. So we are in John chapter 8. We're right in the middle of the chapter. Um, John, uh, th- this is uh, number 36 of getting through the Gospel of John. We may start going a little faster um, because there are people saying, asking me to preach about other things. And um, I don't really care what you all think. So <clears throat> last week, in the last two weeks, we talked about the, uh, the woman that was called in adultery and how Jesus bends down. Jesus doesn't condemn her, but he, he bends down and he, he meets her where she is. And, and then he challenges her to sin no more. Jesus didn't have a problem with sinners. He had a problem with people who thought they weren't. That's tweetable right there. Oh, we can go back on Twitter now. Did y'all know that? Yeah. Yeah, y'all think that I'm joking, but let me just tell you this. I could not put any tweets on Twitter. Um, but then on Friday, I went on there and I was like, I can tweet again. <clears throat> I'm serious. So uh, in case you're wondering what kind of pastor this is. <clears throat> Are y'all okay? Yeah, you Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's read our verses for today. John 8. Thanks, Mo. Uh, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. Remember we talked about that, that you know, anybody that was caught doing something wrong, they had to, they couldn't, one person couldn't just come along and make an accusation. There had to be two people. So I said, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And they were always scared of Jesus arresting him. I I just can never, I would love to be able to see what that looked like. They were always trying to arrest Jesus, and they would always, in their mind, all right, we got him now, but they never arrested him until the time. I just wonder what, what that looked like in reality, what that looked like. It would be just beautiful to see them trying to go and get him, and they just can't get him. Like they try to grab him, and then it's like disappears. So, all right, John chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. This is the second of seven times in the Gospel of John, there are I am statements. And this is the second one. We, we covered uh, when he said, I am the bread of life. He's, and here he's saying, I am the light of the world. Another time he says that he's the door. Another time it's, I'm the resurrection and the light. I'm the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I'm the true vine. He has all of these I am statements. Right here he said, I am the light of the world. And this language to the Jews would be very, very significant because the light meant that, 
they always associated the light with Yahweh, with God, because all throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, it talks about the Lord as the light. And David wrote in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? In Isaiah, it says, the Lord will be your everlasting light. And Joel, it says, by his light, I walk through darkness. In Micah, it says, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Jesus is saying, he is the light of the world, and it's, this is him claiming to be God. And with that claim comes a call to action for us, that he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So whenever we think of light versus darkness, or whenever we think about good versus evil, or God and Satan are having this arm wrestling match, you know the meme where they, they're like doing this arm wrestling, and I mean, their muscles aren't this big, obviously, but they're like big muscles, and, and, uh, and so they're doing the arm wrestling thing, and then, you know, you have the, the brown hand and the and the lighter brown hand and they're like doing this and they're and they're and it's like we think of the battle of good and evil being like that like sometimes evil is winning sometimes good is winning in reality in the spiritual realm the battle is like if you walk into a pitch black room and you turn on the light how often does the darkness win when the light comes on never like no matter how strong the darkness in a room is, as soon as the light comes on, it dissipates. It is gone. As a matter of fact, it is so powerful, the light is so powerful over darkness that it doesn't even notice that there was darkness there because the light just shines. In the, in the, the spiritual realm, the darkness and the light, that's how big of a difference it is. Satan has absolutely no power whatsoever over the light, over Jesus, period. That's it. Do y'all believe that? Why do you live like you live then? I'm just wondering, like, why do you live defeated if you know you have victory? Everybody got quiet now. Like, oh, I don't know. Light, okay, we have some counseling sessions lined up, all right? So the, the light and the darkness are starkly different. Someone told me after first service, he said he saw on a high-speed camera, on, whenever the light comes on, the light is instant, the light wins instantly. You have victory instantly. And if you understand that in the spiritual realm, a lot of times we fight in these, these uh, spiritual battles where there's, there's darkness that's, that's attacking us. That doesn't have to be a long battle. As soon as you understand the power that you have in the spiritual, the spiritual realm, as soon as you understand the power that you have in Jesus because he's the light, he over, overcomes the darkness. All you have to do... It's not like a, a magic spell where you say, okay, in Jesus' name, you have to leave. Abracadabra. If, but if you believe that Jesus is the light and he is more powerful than the darkness, when you say Jesus' name, there is power in the name of Jesus and that darkness has to leave. Darkness doesn't have a choice. When the light comes on, darkness does not have a choice to battle the light. There's no battle. The light wins, period. Are y'all with me? I, I feel like, I'm not sure, but I feel like there should be some amens. But it's cool, like, if y'all just not, if y'all are not about the amens today, because y'all are being weird, okay? I just need to let you know, y'all are being weird. Usually y'all are a little more responsive. You laugh at my hilarious jokes. And then, but now today you're like, hmm. Hey, online, if you're watching, um, thank you for laughing out loud. I can hear you from your homes. <laughs> so, uh, the light, here, here's another concept that I want to think about. I want you to think about. The light is a blessing for those who are living in and looking for righteousness. 
if in your life you, you live with a clear conscience, there's no part of your life that you're, you're trying to hide from your family or you're trying to hide from your, your spouse or you're trying to hide from anybody else finding out. Like if there's no, nothing that you're hiding, you are looking for the light in your life. You are looking for, what, is there any parts of my life that are out of line with the way that God wants me to live? You're looking for those things. You're asking God to illuminate those things and you're sleeping well with a clear conscience. If, if you are someone th- th- that is that does like to hide things, you, you are not about transparency, then the light is a curse for you. It's a curse for people that are trying to hide things. It's a curse for people because it's, they're worried about what if they find out about this? What are they going to think about me? Our church is, we're very transparent in the way that we do business. Um, so for instance, in January every year, we do a, 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 on a Sunday morning, we have our financial meeting. A lot of churches will do them on Tuesday nights at, at 9 p.m. so that no one will come. And then they're like, like trying to be sneaky with the finances. We're not, we don't do that. Like maybe they're not being sneaky, but you know, I love all the churches. So um, the <laughs> what we do is on Sunday morning, we will hand out everyone papers. And it's so boring because it's just a bunch of numbers. It's exciting what God's doing through those numbers, but it's boring because it's like, oh, look, a pie chart. Great. Look, a graph. That's what I want. Yeah. Who likes Excel spreadsheets? Anybody? Nerds. <laughs> but we, we show you all that stuff. It's on the screens. Like, we, we talk about it because we're not trying to be sneaky. We're not, trying to, we're not trying to, like, hide anything. We're very transparent because darkness cannot exist in the light, and we don't want any darkness to have any place in our church, in the way that we do church, or in our lives individually, Right? Because in the darkness, that's where loneliness is found. In the darkness is where brokenness is found. In the darkness is where hatred is found. In the darkness is where sin happens. In the dark. You turn on the lights. If you turn on the lights, if you will be in the light, the darkness, can't, darkness has to flee. We know that Jesus loves us. We know that Jesus heals us. We know that Jesus forgives us. But one of the biggest things, and we need to be anchored to those truths, that knowing that Jesus is the one that sustains us. But one of the biggest things is Jesus is a liberator from darkness. Where there may be darkness in our life, Jesus sets us free. And Jesus is, he is gentle, but he is not weak. He is a, a powerful, mighty, he is so strong that he doesn't have to prove that he's strong. You know, I was, yesterday I was playing basketball with, with the kids at, true, at the True Light thing. And there was a kid that was just talking and talking and talking about how great he is at basketball. And I get it, like... I, I get it. You, some people have to, you have to prove, you have to prove it. If you'll prove it by what you do versus what you say, I'm telling you, people will be drawn to Jesus in your life. You can talk about Jesus and you should talk about Jesus, but if you'll prove it by the way that you love, like by your actions, the way that you actually live it out, that's going to win people to Jesus. I'm telling you over and over and over. You're trying to reach your neighbor and you just don't know how, just love your neighbor. It's super complicated. Love your neighbor. When you see your neighbor, go talk to your neighbor. And when I say your neighbor, I don't mean the person far off. I mean the person that lives next door to you. Go talk to them. And you're like, they don't like me. And I said, well, it's probably because you're a jerk. Like, it's probably your fault. Like, be nice to them. So if you are someone that maybe you're in here today and you've been stuck in a specific sin, you need to understand that Jesus has the power to break you free from sin, whatever the sin is, when you submit it to him, 
When you're in the light, when you bring light to it, the darkness has to flee. He gives the, you the power now, today. You may think, yes, yeah, someday I will be without sin when I die and go to heaven. You're right, you will. You can be without sin today. You don't have to be wallowing in the, the sin. You, you can be completely free of the chains that you're hooking up to yourself today. Because if you have Jesus, then you have power over every sin. I know I feel like, a, sometimes I feel like a broken record because I say the same things every week. But every week someone says to me, I didn't think of it that way. I was like, well, you're a dummy because I said that last week and the week before and the week before and the week, why weren't you listening? Sometimes it just hits you, hits your heart at, at the right time. And it's not me doing it, it's the Holy Spirit doing that for you. So um, back to John 8. The context of what's going on here in this story is very, very important, just like it's always important. But um, there's this, towards the end of, of the verses I just read, there's this verse that seems like it's kind of a random verse. It says, the, these words were spoke, he spoke in the treasury. The treasury is part of the temple, and it's, it's where, it's like the courtyard right at the edge of the temple. And so the, he said, this is where he said these things. Seems like a throwaway verse, but... Um, this is at the end, the context is, this is at the end of the Festival of Booths. They celebrate this festival every seven years, and they, they did this festival to celebrate how God had freed his people from Egypt, and then they were out in the wilderness, and he provided for them, and he led them to the promised land. The, the nation of Israel was constantly remembering things. You know, we're really, really, really bad at remembering what God has done for us. Like, because we say, well, what have you, I know you've done some good stuff for me, but what have you done for me lately? See, y'all say it all the time. It just rolled off your tongues. Like, what, what have you done for me? And so we, we have trouble remembering. The nation of Israel also had these problems, but what they would do to fight this is they would have these festivals so that they could remember. There were three symbolic things that they would do. Um, the first one is they would camp outside in tents, and it was really intense. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, here, since, since we're telling dad jokes. Um, y'all ever see, I've told some of y'all this this morning, and it's hilarious. Have y'all, y'all ever see how the birds, when they fly, they fly in a V, and one side's longer than the other? You know why that is? It's because there's more birds in that side. So they would camp outside in tents. And uh, the reason they did that is to remember a time when, uh, when they had to be in tents because they had no home. They were, they were traveling in the desert and they were walking all the time and they had to sleep in tents. So they would literally, outside of their homes, they would set up these tents and they would sleep in their, in their tents. And then the next thing is they would pour out water to remember when Moses got, got water out of a rock. He struck the rock and he brought water forth and God provided for them in the wilderness. So they would pour out water to remember that. And the third thing they would do is they would light up torches. And at this place that Jesus was teaching in the courtyard, in the treasury, at the temple, it was like they would set off this, this huge bonfire in the courtyard and it would, it, it would, they would light up in all the different uh, places at every temple. They would light up and then um, it was to remember that, that God led them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night and they were Jesus was reminding them he's like look you you see that that God led you like this and I am the light if you've seen the father you've seen me I am the light now and I am with you we get to have the light living inside of us to lead us 
so much better than what they had in the Old Testament. So much better. And that, that light would guide them in the, in the wilderness. It would guide them. God's faithfulness always went through. St. Augustine has this quote. It says, They sent such a blaze of light throughout Jerusalem that every courtyard was lit up with their brilliance. Then, all night long until the rooster crowed the next morning, the greatest and wisest and the holiest men in Israel danced before the Lord and sang psalms of joy and praise while the people watched. And this is, this is why Jesus calls himself the light of the world. He's wanting us to dance before him in his light. In Luke 4, 18, it says, He has sent... He has been sent for me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovering sight to the blind. Jesus and Jesus alone has the power to rip people out of darkness. The only cure, you cannot fix darkness with anything except for light. That is the only cure for darkness. If in your life there is darkness that is just grabbing a hold of you, the only cure is Jesus, period. The only cure. If you have neighbors that are struggling with dark things in their life, the only cure is Jesus. There is no other way because He is the light and He invites us to dance before God in this light, in the sunlight. Guys, I'm being way funnier than y'all are giving me credit for. All right, John 8 goes on. It says, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What Jesus offers you is not to be near the light or kind of close to the light or to be able to see the light. He offers you to be in the light, in the marketplace of ideas and all of the religions of the world. You have Hinduism that says you can have a, a better life through karma. You know, if you have to earn the good things that happen to you, you ain't getting no good things because you do bad things right i love those youtube videos called instant karma where people y'all have y'all seen them like because somebody tries to do something mean and then something instantly happens to them like it's crazy stuff like they'll they'll like try to kick somebody on a bike and then like a bear will fall out of a tree on top of them or something it's like great i love those anyway buddhism says to have uh to have no desire for anything through nirvana naturalism says to have whatever is in front of you just whatever you have is like that's that's the way to peace the gospel says you get to have god the god of all creation you get to have god so much more we get god if we look back at moses moses had this deep desire for more of god and and we think of moses as like this superstar like this super godly person he followed this pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night and it wasn't enough for him he wanted more god and so moses says to god in exodus 33 he says to god please show me your glory and then god says no it'll kill you like, you cannot see my face. It'll kill you. It's like, you need a mediator. And so what did God do? He sent a mediator that now we can't. See, God said to Moses, you can't. You can't look at me. And then Jesus comes along and says, you can and you have to. You look at me. Like, you can see God when you, he says, if you've seen the Father, you, I mean, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That is God in the flesh. And we get to, we should, we have to look at Jesus in John 17, later it says uh, that they may all be, Jesus is praying, he's like, that they may all be in one, they may, be, they may all be one, just as you are in me, and I am in you, and they also may be in us. 
the main thing that Paul calls us when he refers to people that follow Christ. is not a believer, it's not Christian, but he says it this way in, in his second letter to the, to the Corinthian church. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the, the, behold, the new has come. One of your questions, your life group questions this week is, um, we're going to read this verse and then compare the desires of the old you versus the desires of the new you. Remember how you were before you knew God and the desires that you had and the plans you had for your life and then compare them to how it is now. The desires that you have in your heart and the plans that, you, that God has let you know that he has for you. Paul didn't, say, didn't call us Christians or believers mostly. He called us in Christ because we are in Christ. We have him and we have the light. When we are in the light, it produces some things in our lives that, are, that we no longer have to manufacture. We think because we know Jesus, we, ha- we have to do this hard work to fight off sin in our life. You know why you think that it's so hard to defeat sin in your life? It's because you're still doing the arm wrestling thing. Stop doing the arm wrestling thing. You, it's, sin has no power over you. And if you understand your relationship with Jesus and how Jesus has overcome all darkness, you don't have to arm wrestle with sin anymore. You're free. And the change happens like that. You're done. You're free from sin. You don't have to struggle in sin anymore. You don't have to wallow around in the mud anymore. You're free. So live in the freedom. Continue to be in the light. Whenever you are in the light, God becomes more radiant and those sinful desires begin to die. That is the thing, that whenever you see the sinful thing, you flee. If you don't flee and you dabble around it, you're going to fall into it or jump into it or run screaming into it. Like you're, you're going to enjoy it briefly. But if you're in the light, your appetite for God begins to grow and you start to mature and you become more and more like him that you are operating out of the integrity of who you say you are and you're operating in a, in a, a manner of holiness. Whenever you think of yourself, you don't think of yourself as holy. Like I don't think of myself as holy. Some of y'all think you're way too holy. You need to stop that. Like, you, there's, it's one extreme or the other. You think, there's no way I could be holy. If Jesus calls you holy, then you're holy. Or he's a liar. Try that one. All right, well, then if Jesus says you're holy, then you're holy. And that means you, you live in the holiness. And the more you start to understand that, the more you are in him and in the light, the more you're going to really live out of that holiness. Because as you're in the light, you're putting sin to death. In Romans, it says that we are being conformed to the image of his son and being transformed by the renewing of our minds. You're doing that by being in him, by being in his word. That's an, another great way to do it. So, we, And the reason is so that we think and we act and we talk and we represent Jesus better so that we're bringing glory to God. Because that's what our time here on earth is to bring glory to God. And when we bring glory to God, it brings people to God. There's another quote I have. It says, For as light, he moves into the secret places of our lives, into the shacks of our hearts, into our thought life, into our emotional fantasies to expose all the darkness and burn it away. Like radiation therapy. I love that image. The intensity of light kills the cancer cells of the deepest, darkest. In the light, darkness has to leave. And as we draw into the light, we look more like him and we put sin to death. One of the crazy thoughts of this is as we're drawing into the light, our sin is lit up. The thing that we're holding on to so tightly because if I give that up, then I, am I really still me? 
the me that you're holding on to of the old life is not the me that you want to be. The me that God has you, has designed you to be, is so much better. And if you don't believe me, ask literally anybody else in the world. Like anybody who has submitted their heart to the Lord. Ask any of them if the new desires bring them better peace, bring them more fulfillment than the old desires. And now everyone will tell you the same story. So you start to see, you, you, when, you're, when you're in the light, you're red-pilled, and you start to see the reality of what's real, like what's really real. And you no longer, because the light is, is lighting it all up. You can see the truth for what it is. And you, you, can, you can stop working so hard to get there. Paul, Paul's prayer for us was that our, our, that our eyes of our hearts may be enlightened. Um, and as we draw into the light, your eyes are open to reality. Um, we're a work in progress, not because we have to be, but because we tend to be people that want to be in charge. And it's a mystery how he does it. Paul says in one time, he says, you know, I'm so glad that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I pray more than all of you. And then very shortly after, he says, I am the chief of all sinners. Like there, of all the sinners that have ever been, I'm probably the worst. Like, and then another time he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Like, how do we reconcile these things? How is it that he can pray more than all of us and he can still be the worst sinner and he's telling us to follow him as he follows Christ? It's because he has given up the old life and he is in Christ now. That the sin, that old, that old desire, the old him has died and you too put to death the old you and the old desires because you are a new creation. Amen. John 8 goes on and says, So the Pharisee said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered them, If I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. The Pharisees are sitting here saying, Nuh-uh, liar. They have a really good argument there. Um, he's, and he says, It is in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. The reason that law, it's, you have to have a, a witness is because it safeguards people. Because if you don't like somebody, you could just go to all the leaders and say, hey, that person did X and they, they sinned against me. And then the, the leaders will just stone them. But you have to have somebody else. You have to have a witness. There has to be two people. Remember when we talked about the, the woman that was caught in the act of adultery? You're walking by and you see in the window, you're like, hey, they're doing adultery in there. And then you're like, let me go get Billy. And so you go get Billy and Billy, you and Billy are looking in the window and, and Billy's like, I affirm, they are committing adultery in there. So then they, then they take the, just the woman for some reason and, they, and now it's caught. Like adultery happened, caught. And that's how it has to be. And God did that as a safeguard so that people couldn't just make these false accusations about you. So here's what Jesus, it's so crazy. They're saying Jesus doesn't have witnesses. Jesus has more witnesses than anybody in history. John the Baptist, verified witness. He has all of the, the Old Testament prophets that are witnesses. He has his miracles. He can say, you don't think I'm the son of God? Did you see the, the water to wine thing? Did you see that time I was walking on the water? I didn't want to wait on the boat, so I just walked across the, the whole sea. Like, he, he could say so many things. I mean, he had all of these, but what he does instead is he chooses to accommodate them. He chooses to say, okay, I'll meet you there. Like when you are right and you are, you are in the right, you can, say, you can let the people say whatever they want. And Jesus is in the right. And so what he does is he just meets them right where they are. You know, I, one time I was uh, working at the old church I was in and I had to go through this, 
this uh, closet and I had to turn off a breaker. And so when I'm going in there, I go by a bucket and there's a scraper sticking out of the bucket and it just like, it caught me right at the edge of my leg and it just ripped my leg open. Like blood, just, it was gross. There was blood everywhere and it's just squirting out. So I squat down, I, I sit on the ground, I'm holding my, my leg together and I like, I call Jessica, I'm like, hey, I was alone in the building. I call Jessica, I'm like, hey, I need you to come get me because I'm gonna die here. Um, so come get me, there's blood everywhere. And so she's like, why? And so, and so she she comes, she's on her way. I drag myself out and I'm just sitting on the ground outside of the storage room. There's nothing around me except for a puddle of blood. And a friend of mine comes in and he's like, yo, I got some new running shoes. Check this out. And I'm like, oh, those are cool. And so we're, and then we talk. I'm like, so you're going to start running? I'm holding my leg together. Blood literally pouring down both sides, all over my hands, like everywhere. And, uh, and, it, and I was like, so you're going to start running? He's like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, where are you going to run? And like, we're just having a normal conversation. And then like five minutes, five whole minutes, I'm on my death ground. And, and, and so, so finally I say, like the conversation takes a lull. And I say, finally I say, so are you wondering at all why I'm sitting on the floor right here? And he goes, yeah, what are you doing? <gasps> ah! And like he runs to, the, runs to the kitchen, gets some towels. And, it, and he's like, why didn't you tell me? I was like, well, you were excited about your shoes. So, you know, I just, so basically... I'm saying, you know, Jesus is gracious and patient with us. He accommodates us. I'm just like Jesus, guys. I've been telling y'all. Like, I was accommodating his conversation. Like, it's just like, we can look at so many times in the Bible where Jesus accommodates people. He meets them right where they are. If you look at the Samaritan woman, she was at the well. She's like, uh, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give you, if you'll, if you'll turn to me, like, I'll give you living water that you know nothing about. You'll never thirst again. And she's like, well, let me go get my husband. And like, well, the husband, you know, five husbands, like now the one you're living with now is not even your husband. And so, and she's like, well, what about worship in Jerusalem? And he's like, okay. Uh, and like, he answers that. He just keeps meeting her right where she is. And it's, it's just beautiful. She keeps changing the subject. None of y'all do that. But this lady did that. You know how many times, like, a, like you get caught dead to rights, you are like guilty, and your wife says, hey, why'd you do that? You're like, oh, yeah, remember when you told me that the other day? Remember when we were dating? We've been married 26 years. Remember when we were dating and you forgot we were going to go on a date and you stood me up? True story. From someone that's been married 26 years that's preaching right now. So... <clears throat> When the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest and Jesus accommodates them, when he, he comes down to their level and he engages with them and, he, and when his mom comes to him and she's like, hey, we're out of wine. He's like, so? What do I care about the wine? And, and she's like, she tells the guys, just do what he says. Okay, here, just do what he says. And he accommodates her. He meets her right where she is. How has God accommodated you? How has God come into your life and met you right where you are? Because there are people in here right now that you think God is angry at you because you have made choices that you know were not the choices you should make. Some of you think that God doesn't really care what it is that you do because, you know, I'm saved by grace and so I don't have to try hard. He, he meets you right where you are and he desires to be intimately involved in every detail of your life. Every single thing. He, he is not indifferent towards you in any part. Uh, the nature of God in your life is that he, he is ultimately committed to you, to the end. 
for every breath, for every thought to you. And he, he isn't going anywhere. And he graciously engages, even with these Pharisees, he graciously engages with them, even though they've accused him, they just accused him of being a liar. And, and they say, you, you judge according, he says, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. You judge by human standards because you have rejected the light of the world. When you shut off Jesus, you are walking in darkness. You don't know up and down, left or right. Without Jesus, you will not know the way you're supposed to go. My dad told me this story when he was, uh, he, him and his friends were like these daredevils. And they would always try to top the thing that the last guy did. And he said they would do these cliff dives where there was this rock quarry and the water's like 200 feet deep. So they would see he would jump from the highest point. And he said, one time we were all out drinking and somebody said, hey, uh, um, I bet you won't jump off of that cliff at night. And it's like pitch black out there. And he's like, I'll do it. I ain't scared of nothing. And so he stands, on, he stands on the cliff and he jumps off. It's pitch black outside. And he f- goes into the water. And you go, when you jump from a really high place, you go really deep. And it's called gravity. So you, and he goes into the water and then he starts swimming really hard because he's trying to get back to the top. And he's swimming really hard and swimming really hard. And he said, I had no idea which way was up. There's no light. He had no idea. And so he was just swimming really hard. And then he said, I started to panic. And the worst thing you can do around water is panic. And he, so he's swimming and swimming and swimming. And he said, I started to panic. And I started, I'm like, oh, I need air now. And he said he started to freak out a little bit. And then for some reason, he just remembered, stop. And he stopped. And if you stop when you're underwater, just maybe one day this will save your life. Stop and you'll float. You'll start going up. And he said, as soon as I started going up, I started swimming as fast. And he said, I swam so fast to the top, my whole body probably came out of the water when I got up there. It was like Shamu. And it's like, <laughs> so um, when, uh, if you're apart from Jesus, we get apart from Jesus and we get in the darkness and we fumble around and we're, like, we're banging our toes and we're, we're running into things. You can't, with, apart from the light, you're not ever going to be able to get, it's like when you invite somebody, everybody in here has probably invited somebody to church and say, yeah, I'll go, but I got to get some things right in my life first. Like, you know, you got yourself into that mess. You are not going to be able to get yourself out of the mess. So whoever's saying that to you, say, you, you can't, you can't. The reason you are where you are is because you've been trying to do it on your own. How about you let Jesus take over? How about you shine the light on the darkness because then you will be free. We make judgments and somehow it leaves us bloody emotionally, spiritually, morally, and relationally when we try to do it on our own. And we look at scripture and God is over and over and over and over again trying to get our attention, saying, look at me, look at Jesus. This is the way, this is the way. You aren't great at making judgments on your own. Let me in because you need me. Like Israel wanted a king. And so they said, give us a king like all the people around us. We want to be just like our neighbors. And God says, I'm your king. What are you talking about? You have the best king of all. I'm your king. And they're like, no, no, no. We want a king. We, we want a real king. And so God says, okay. And they want Saul because he's tall, dark, and handsome. And he's like, no, I'm not going to give you Saul. I'm going to give you David. And you're going to get the little kid that's playing the harp and to the sheep and singing. And like, this is who you get. Because it's better. God's way is better. God plans to free his people from the most powerful nation the world had ever seen in Egypt. And he doesn't look for a young, strong leader. He looks for old people like some of y'all. Like he, he goes and gets, <laughs> hey, I resemble that remark. So he, he goes and gets two guys in their 80s. And one of them has a stutter. 
And that's who he's going to use to deliver his people. And they're, they're watching, like in, in, when Jesus comes, they're watching for the Messiah to come and take the world by force. And what they get is a baby born to a teenage mother out in a shack on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Like his way is better. The, whenever we try to judge what we think is best, his way is better. Without the light, we are judging according to our flesh. There is coming a day when Jesus will come and he will judge all things. And on that day, I'll fly away. That's the song, I'll fly away, right? On that day, it is gonna be a beautiful day. You can start embracing that day now by inviting the light in now. And instead of, of us just brushing everything under the rug, Jesus is gonna come and he's gonna say, look at this. Look at this. You chose this instead of this. And it's not condemnation because he already paid the price. But don't you want to be in him? Don't you want to be in the light? Because ultimately his justice will prevail over every single thing. No matter what. His, it, every spiritual leader that has abused their authority, every judge that was bribed, every CEO that exploited people that worked, every single injustice that has ever happened to you or to anybody you know in that on that day it will be justified it will be made into justice it will be made right and so we look forward to that day in matthew 25 it says then the king will say come you who are blessed by the father inherit the kingdom because you fed me when i was hungry you clothed me when i was naked you visited me while i was in prison and then the text says that that they were like wait when did we do those things and he says, well, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. People take that section of verses and they say, okay, all I have to do then is I just have to work really hard and I have to feed people. The least of these, I have to feed people and I have to, to clothe them and I have to give them water when they're thirsty. And yes, do those things. But you're not doing those things so that you won't be condemned. You're not doing those things so that God will love you. He already loves you. He's not gonna love you less or more. He already loves you. So you can't go into it thinking, this is the things I have to do. Because in Matthew 7, he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of God. Some will say, we did miracles, we cast out demons, we prophesied, we fed you when you were hungry, we, we gave you water, we gave you food, we visited you in prison. And then his response will be, away from me, I never knew you. You are not in the light. You cannot be found in me, having a relationship with me. So get away from me, I never knew you. That's what it's about. It's about being in him. Then you can take, you no longer have the responsibility for dictating the direction of your life. You just have to follow him. It's so simple. You just have to follow him. And then you don't have that, all that pressure of, what if this is wrong? What if that's wrong? Well, just do what he tells you to do. Do what he tells you to do and you're going to make the right decisions. Try to take you out of the equation. If you can take you out of the equation, it's way better. Trust me, it's way better. The last part, it says, I'm the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, uh, they said to him, there, they said to him, therefore, where's your father? Jesus answered, you know, neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Remember, he's saying that you followed that his God's people followed the pillar of fire at night and Jesus saying I'm the light I am now the pillar that you follow I am the one that you go in in the valley of the shadow of death this light overcomes and the light completely renders it 
absolutely powerless against any of your own personal wilderness. When you invite Jesus in and you truly are following him and being in his light, darkness has no power over you. And, and if you can really understand that, next time you're in a battle and you really truly believe that he is the light and he is stronger and he is more powerful to overcome, you no longer have to, to struggle in it. You just say in Jesus' name and, and it's it. It's over. I've seen this happen in my life. I've seen people that were demon-possessed, very clearly demon-possessed. And people are around them and they're praying for them and nothing's happening. And then one guy walks up that actually believes and says, in Jesus' name, come out and boom, out. And the person just falls like, like they're dead on the ground. And I'm like, you killed them. <laughs> they weren't dead. They were, they were more alive in that moment than they've probably been in a very long time. But it's not a magic spell. Jesus is not a magic spell. He's not a wizard. But if you believe, if you truly believe, and you're truly in the light, you have power over everything that may come against you. Right? Amen. God, we thank you so much uh, that you, you come and you bring us peace and you bring us joy and you bring us victory over every single thing that would set itself against us. Because we know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We truly, truly believe that to the core of our being. That's why darkness can have no power over any of us. The, in the areas of our life, Lord, that, that darkness may be trying to take hold or that we have invited in, uh, we just rebuke that now in Jesus' name. We ask you to light that thing up so that we would know and that we would always choose you. We would get rid of any, anything that would set itself against us or against you in our lives. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.